it's Joy Foster, founder of Tech Pixies. Welcome to the Sparkle and Thrive podcast. I am delighted today to be joined by Julia Elliott Brown. We're going to be talking about raising investment. This is an area that she knows very, very well and has helped many, many women start their journey into investment. And it's something that comes up in conversation quite often at Tech Pixies. Once people get their confidence with social media and they start thinking about the type of business they want to build, and then they start thinking about, well, how am I going to build that business to impact more people and, and bring other people onto the team, et cetera. So I always point them Julia's uh, direction because I think it's so important. So welcome to the show, Julia. I'm delighted that you're here. Hey, Joy. It's lovely to see you. Thank you for inviting me on. Well, we have, uh, I believe we met at an event. This is, I mean, back in the days that you could be in an event live face-to-face with other people. Uh, and we just hit it off because I had just raised money for Tech Pixies and you are passionate about women raising money for their businesses. Uh, tell us how you got involved in the world of uh, investment education for women, which is primarily what you do now. Yeah, well, I've been, I've been in the startup industry for most of my career, so 25 years plus. And I've had a number of different businesses that I've grown. But my last business was a fashion tech company where you could design your own shoes online. And I raised a lot of money for that business. So I raised about £2 million worth of funding from friends and family, from angel investors, from um, venture capital firms, and also through crowdfunding. So I'd got really good at raising investment myself although trust me joy I made a lot of mistakes along the way but unfortunately that last business didn't make it it was a business that we my sister and I started we we worked really hard on it for seven years it was really successful but we wanted to really scale it into something big and we struggled to get it out of what was quite a successful niche into something really big and, um, and so actually with our investors, we made the decision to close that business down, which was quite, quite a journey, I have to say. But I learned so much along the way about raising investment, what to do, what not to do. And I'd always had so many other female founders say, Julia, can I just buy you a coffee? Can I pick your brains? Can you help me? Because I don't know where to start. And so when I was thinking about what I would do next, it happened so quickly that I decided, you know what, actually, there are so many other amazing female founders out there who really need help raising investment and they don't know where to turn. There's something I can do to, to help them. And so that's where Enter the Arena was born. And we started, well, we started this business five and a half years ago now and have, and have been going from strength to strength. That's amazing. And it's also really important to understand that investment doesn't always work out. And I think um, that's that that's why it's an investment. You know, I remember when I was raising money for Tech Pixies, there was a guy in the room who said, um, why don't you just take a loan out? Why, why raise investment? And I said, well, I think this is going to work. All the evidence in the marketplace says this is going to work, that we can move a program that's face-to-face online and we can expand across the country. Like, I think that's going to work, but I'm not sure it's going to work, you know, and, and you're going to do, we're going to do everything we can possibly to figure that out. And I, and that's really the way that I presented it. I had evidence that it was working in other, for other companies. I had evidence that other companies had raised, raised money and were doing well in that space. I had evidence that that industry was growing and, and actually in the end we were right. Um, but it was really interesting to have that kind of, do I take a loan or do I raise investment? And actually the irony is over the years, we've done all of it. We've crowdfunded, we've raised money, we've taken loans, we've, you know, we've done it all. But there's different points in your business journey and business growth where uh, investment makes sense versus a loan versus a startup loan versus crowdfunding. So in your experience, when does someone know 
uh, actually, I need to start raising money. And this is this is uh, I've got to go down that route versus taking out a loan or or crowdfunding. Yeah, I mean, you're right. There's lots of different ways to raise money. Investment isn't for everybody. So, I mean, the first thing is working out whether your business is the kind of business that investors would be attracted to. So when you get investors on board, they put their money into your company and in return, you sell them a share of that company. And when you're investing in in venture businesses, which is kind of young startup businesses, the only way that those investors will ever make a return on their money, i.e. get their money back in spades, is when you grow that business into something much, much bigger. So you scale it and then you sell it. Or you might have heard people say you exit the business, (laughs) which is a very funny thing. I'm exiting. I'm pressing the eject button. But when you sell it. So um, you have to have the kind of business that has the potential to grow from where you are now, like a really small seed into being something huge and something that another company might want to buy or even a company that you could float on the stock exchange, which is called an an IPO, if you've ever heard that term. And, And a lot of businesses aren't suited to that. So that's the first thing is figuring out, is this a business that could be huge? Because then investors might be interested in it. So, and then you have to think about whether you really want investors on board because as I said you know when you take investment into your business you sell a share in your company which basically means you're taking on partners in your business and you have to think about whether that's what you want do you want to share this business with anyone else or do you want to completely own this business and grow it perhaps more slowly instead of trying to grow it big grow it fast so those are a couple of things to start thinking about at the beginning Is it a business that's investable? And do you really want investors on board? Yeah, that's such an important point. In fact, when I was thinking about investment, I I went and um, paid money to go and speak to a potential investor panel to say, is my business investable, right? And uh, and so I think that that was important for me to say, like to have other people who were invested in businesses look at what we were doing and tell me, yeah, we think it could be investable or not. And that was that was really important for me. And I think what um, I took a lot of confidence away from that because I thought, well, if they didn't think it was worth investing in, they would have told me. And uh, and that was that was huge for me to say, okay, now I'm I've got the opportunity. I have something that could be invested in. Now, do I want to do it? And then I, like you said, that, that concept of bringing other people on board, bringing, sharing the journey with other people, you know, it is, and you have to be careful about who you select. I mean, I, fortunately I'd had a few friends who'd gone through it before I did. And I heard a lot of horror stories, um, you know, like nightmare investors. And I'd heard about other, you know, people where they just knew it wasn't right, but they went forward with it anyway. And the first time we accepted money, I actually had turned down a few people. And and then when we went back out and asked for money, I, I went back to one of them and said, yeah, we'd like to have you come on board again, if you're still interested, but it is, it is difficult to tell someone that you don't want to take their money. Um, and there's all sorts of reasons for that. And, and I think it was, it's important to, to know that the person who's investing, they really are help. They do actually help you depending on whether or not they're an active investor or not. They, they are involved in the decision-making. They are involved in the accountability for sure. You know, we've had a lot of accountability calls with my investors going, you know, whoa, you spent that or, you know, or, you know, how come we're not doing this or, 
you know, so I think it's been, um, it's been really interesting. Like you said, you know, to, you, for me, it definitely raised the accountability game when it was just me, I had nobody else to be accountable to. Whereas when I took on investors, it was like, okay, actually I've got to, I've got to make sure that, you know, we're dotting the, dotting the I's crossing the T's and that I, you know, everything is, is, you know, all the decision-making is, you know, thought out and presented well. And, you know, I still do a lot of intuitive decision-making, but I have to say it's, it's definitely up the game uh, in terms of, you know, wanting to be accountable to people. The other thing that it did that surprised me was not just hold me accountable, but when things were really tough, what's great about the, uh, when things have been really tough, the investors have always they're always, they've always had my back. Like, I think that's been something that's been a blessing. Like they, they really truly believe in me. So when I'm having a hard time and they maybe, you know, I, I, when I've had a hard time, they've, they've said, you know, we, we believe you can do this. And equally when things are going really well, they're cheering me on, but they've gone through the highs and the lows with me. So that's also been a benefit. How do you pick the right people to, you know, I got, I, I feel like I could pinch myself every day. I got to pick the people I work with and my bosses, if you will, from the investment side, how, how do you help people pick the right people? Yeah. I mean, it's so important, isn't it? To find the right investors that are aligned with your vision, um, your values, um, it's like getting married, really. And it's much harder to get rid of an investor that you don't want to work with anymore than it is to get rid of a husband that you no longer want. So you have to think very carefully about it. So how do you find the right investors? Well, the first thing is, as you said, is getting really, really clear on what it is that you want, you know, clear on your own vision, clear on your values so that you're, you're you know, clear on where you're taking this business so that you don't let investors kind of take you off in, and other directions that you're not comfortable with. Um, I think part of it is when you're going into the whole process of finding investors is if you can go into that feeling really empowered that you kind of know what you're doing, you will have um, much more productive conversations with investors so that you're not feeling like in a panic. You're not feeling like, oh, I'm desperate for this money. I'm just going to take it. If you feel empowered and strong, you will be in a better position to, to negotiate. And some of that is about doing really good due diligence on investors. So not being afraid to ask them all those questions about what, what is it that they want out of this investment? What's happened with their previous investors? What kind of entrepreneurs do they like to work with? There's lots of questions you can ask investors to, to, to sense check. And so many founders don't ask those questions because they're too scared to, because they feel uncomfortable, unconfident, and that's where the problems can arise. So, um, you know, being empowered with all the skills you need to raise investment can really help you find the right investors. Yeah, I think that's one of the, I, I, someone sent me an email series on investment when I was raising investment and they, and I, it was like four part email series. I must've like signed up to some webinar on how to raise investment or something. I got this four part email series, but it was all about um, confidence. And basically what he said is uh, you're going to make the deal on whether or not they think you have the confidence to deliver. And that's where I had to really, it gives me chills now. That's where I had to really dig deep and say, 
can I deliver on this? Like, do I really believe that I can do this? Even if I don't know how, do I believe that it's possible? And that, you know, that gave me a lot of confidence. And I think that was where I could stand in front of people feeling confident. It was interesting though, because someone filmed me uh, while I was doing my pitch to the investors and they, and actually very helpfully took me out to lunch afterwards and showed me the video and was like, as soon as you started talking about money, you crumbled, you got small. And uh, he said, you, this, you've got to work on this. And as a, you know, and he was a, a very kind friend who did that, that said, you know, cause he wanted the best for me, but he said, you've got, you've obviously got some money mindset issues you've got to tackle. Uh, and he said, your body language showed it. And that was really interesting to be able to watch the pitch back and see the smallness that I presented when I started talking about the finances, because that's an area that I wasn't so familiar with. Talk, uh, talk to us about how women feel about the finances, how they get their heads around the finances and what they need to do in order to feel comfortable and confident with the numbers that they're putting forwards. Yeah, the numbers is a big issue for so many female founders. I think it's, you know, we've somehow um, come to believe ourselves that we're no good at numbers. We don't understand maths. And actually, a lot of the time it's because we have had people kind of patronize us around numbers and not really explain it to us. It's not that complicated, but it can feel like it if you've had a lot of kind of guys in suits who are accountants sort of confusing you with all of this terminology about uh, numbers and accounting so it doesn't have to be that hard but you have to be really good at your numbers don't you joy because fundamentally the numbers show how you're going to manage the money in the business and how you're going to give your investors a return on on their money yeah so, know thy numbers <laughs> yeah so i think it's um it's really important because every every business really needs good finance support whether that's um, your bookkeeper or accountant or a part-time finance director. But it's really important to find um, support with people who are going to empower you with the skills to get your head around the numbers and not confuse you. So that's finding the right support is really important. Um, but yeah, you know, you have to be able to put together a financial forecast. You have to be able to understand how your business operates financially you know, what are all the underlying things that make your revenue grow? What are the costs that are associated as with growing your business? You know, what does it cost to run your business? Everything from people to the office costs, computers, marketing, A any business owner has to get their head around that stuff. And, and, I, and if you don't get it, honestly, you could go on a kind of two, three day um, course on basic financials, you know, go back to, to basics on it learn how to use Excel, make, you know, Excel needs to become your best friend. And again, you can go on courses or buy a book, you know, it's really worth investing your time to get your head around this stuff. Because then when you're in a meeting with an investor, you can hold your own. And if you can't hold your own, they're going to look at you and kind of go, oh, no way am I trusting this woman with my money, you know? Yeah. Well, Ed, that's such a great point because I think I had a little bit of practice before I got to the investment stage uh, because I had applied for grants. So TechPixies is a social enterprise. We have a mission lock in our um, in our documentation for the business, you know, set the, the initial paperwork that we set up to, to launch the business, which now, of course, I'm blanking on, but your articles of incorporation, effectively, we have a mission lock and it says that, you know, our mission is to uh, empower women to return to work uh, through uh, teaching them modern technology. I mean, that's 
more or less what it says. And so we are fully focused on that mission um, and really closing that gap that women have with confidence, particularly with with technology. So it was important to have investors that were uh, that cared not only about uh, the growth of the industry, the online learning industry, but also investors that cared about the social impact of what we were doing. Um, and that was hard to find people that were both interested in the business growth and the social impact growth. But along the way, I had help from an organization called Unlimited, UNLTD, and I had applied for a 5,000 pound do it award and I'd applied for a 15,000 pound grow it award. And then we applied for the impact award, which then led to a much, much larger investment in our business as well. And that was a, a that was a debt investment with some grant uh, involved. But that was after I had raised the money. But I think what was important was I I started by getting that initial 5,000 and then that 15,000. And so in both of those applications and then even the impact um, application, they made me do these massive um, financial documents and they gave me a template. And then I had to like use my existing PLs, which is your profit and loss statements, basically your record of what you're spending and what you're making. And I had to transfer them into these Excel sheets. And I, you know, so that we had a thing we could present them with that they could read, you know, and they could compare multiple different companies in one go. And um, that was a very painful process both times or all three times we had to do it. And finally, by the third time we did, it, I actually had someone on my team whose job it was to do that. Cause I, I found that so painful, but it was in that pain that I learned my numbers. It was in the pain that I learned, okay, where is it? What are we spending the most amount of money on? Uh, which for us was people. Um, and, and that was, you know, that was a big part of our business, but then also it educated me. So I could go to events, business events, and I could ask intelligent questions like, what should you be spending on your people? Like what percentage of your revenue should you be spending on your people? What percentage of your revenue should you be spending on marketing? What percentage of your revenue should you be spending on taxes and, uh, and on accountants? And so I was able to, once I started understanding, okay, we spend this much, this much, this much, I was able to ask much more intelligent questions. And um, so then by the time we came to raising investment, even though uh, it was, it was again, another very painful process of, you know, here's what we were doing. Here's what we want to do. What does that business model look like? What numbers do I believe? Because that was the other thing. You know, I remember putting together a financial plan for a mock investment thing that I did, a business course that I did, and you were you had to pitch your business, and we ended up getting second place in the pitch. But like, I looked at the numbers, and I was like, I I don't I don't know if I believe these numbers or not. And you have to you have to really believe the projections, otherwise you you know you're you won't convey that that belief. But I just, I think that concept of, um, you know, going back to what you said, the investors that have the same values as you, but also finding opportunities to almost, you know, practice a little bit. Like you said, go and do that course or, or go and pitch for that 5,000 pounds, you know, get, just get that experience because I certainly never would have gone from having no loans, no investment, no crowdfunding, no grants to a, an investment round. I never, I think that journey was important to do for me, uh, even though it might've made it a little bit slower. If someone says, look, I don't have an, I don't have a scalable business, like a business that can go super, super big, but I do need investment to, or I do need some kind of money to employ people to help me deliver this. Um, but it's, it's not going to be at this massive scale. What, what, what do you say? What's an, what's a good alternative to, uh, to raising investment? Yeah. I and mean, I think particularly if you're raising kind of 
less than £50,000 or less than £75,000, you know, you should be looking at other options. I mean, we've, you've mentioned some of them, you know, a bank loan, you can get a startup loan um, from companies like Virgin, who organised that, which is backed by the government up to £20,000 per director, I believe. Um, grant funding. So if you're doing something really innovative with technology or for social purposes, you, there are some grants available. Um, but I think often we forget to just kind of get a bit clever with our commercial terms. So think, you know, can you get your customers to pay up front somehow so that you've got the cash now to deliver your services or your product? Um, you know, how, how can you, you know, can if you're selling product to into business customers, like for example, retailers, imagine some of these retailers don't pay you for kind of 90 days or even longer. So you can use something like, which is called invoice factoring. So that there's a third party company that will pay you the invoice now, and then they'll take a, a slice of the commission, but they will then go and chase for payment from, from that big retailer. So there's, there's other ways to, to look at it. Um, but yeah, and there are other companies that will loan you money. If you're an e-commerce business, they will, um, they will fund your e-commerce marketing. So if they can see that your e-commerce marketing is profitable, so they know for every pound you spend on Facebook advertising, you get three pounds back. They can see that the mechanics of it work. So they will, they will fund that for you. So there's, there are a few other ways to do it. In a lot of people kind of instantly think, I'm going for investment. I'm going for venture capital funding because that's what you read about in the press. But it really isn't for everyone. And certainly venture capital funding is only really for those businesses that might one day become a, a unicorn, you know, which is a business that is worth over a billion yeah, and there's a lot of talk about that right now because there's quite a few unicorns that's becoming more commonplace. I just saw an article in the in the Economist that said there were something like over 140 unicorns now, whereas in 2016 there were less than 20. So there is this incredible um, the question as to whether or not there's a bubble in the you know in the unicorn space. Are these companies really worth a billion? Uh, and uh, it was interesting to read the history of what unicorn meant and who came up with the term. And, you know, as a cowboy who came up with the term really is what they said in the article. So I thought it was fascinating. Um, but that's a really good point. Like there are companies that raise investment that do, obviously there's there's millions and millions of companies in the world. And, and there's only, you know, a couple hundred unicorns, if you will. So you can raise investment and not be going for to, you know, to become a unicorn. But I guess what a lot of the 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 venture capital companies are betting on is the unicorn. They 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 kiss a lot of frogs in order to get the prince, you know, in that sense. Um, but what's the difference between someone who's raising, let's say, like you said, that 50, 75 or even 150 like we did the first round? Um, to the person that's raising, you know, a million or two million, are there different stages that people go through? And can you explain that? And what's the difference between someone going for, yeah, like 150,000 versus a million plus? And what do they, what's the difference in how they need to prepare and, and where, where their business needs to be? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot, again, lots of terminology that you hear around this. So when you're starting your business, when you're kind of at idea stage, you're thinking about it, or you're behind the scenes kind of building your minimum viable product, your MVP. That's a kind of so pre-launch. You're really, at, they call that pre-seed. So you can imagine someone's put a little seed under the earth and it needs watering, the water being money. 
So at that stage, you usually get, you know, that, that's kind of like less than a hundred thousand pounds, less than 150,000 pounds. You're, you're usually going to get people who know you and trust you that they invest in you. So it's more likely to be your own network of people, friends and family that back you rather than professional investors at that stage. And when you're raising less than 150,000 pounds, if your company is quite new, less than less than two years old, then you might also qualify for the government tax scheme, which is called the Seed Enterprise Investment Scheme or SEIS, which basically means it's really advantageous for investors to back you really early because they get amazing tax breaks from the government. I won't go into the details, but it's, it's really good. OK, so that's your kind of pre-seed stage when you kind of launch the business and you're starting to grow it, but it's still really, really early days and you haven't really kind of absolutely proved that people want what you've got. You haven't absolutely proved that your different marketing strategies work. There's a lot to, to still to work out. That's called seed stage. And that tends to be, let's say from around 150,000 pounds to actually up to kind of two or 3 million pounds worth of investment. That that's a big pot where you get angel investors coming in, you get early stage venture capital companies coming in, crowdfunding investors coming in. That's that's the seed stage. And so at that point, you need to have, you know, some good signs that things are working, but it's still really, really risky, right? Then when you start to get up to what you might have heard called Series A, which is usually around sort of three million pounds worth of investment or more, then you really are kind of looking at, venture capital firms or maybe um, private equity firms or family offices, which is basically companies that manage wealthy, wealthy people's money. And um, by that point, you really need to have got strong evidence that this business you're building is absolutely what customers want. And you've got a pretty clear idea now of what your route to market is, what your marketing channels are. And so those companies then will invest in you because it's a bit like a sausage machine at that point. They know that if they put their money in one end, you'll turn it in your machine of a business and out the other end, fingers crossed, will pop even more money. So it's it's much less risky at that point. So all along the journey, you're as you need more and more money and as your business goes forward, you're de-risking for investors. So different investors will come in at different stages. But it's complicated, isn't it? All this kind of pre-seed, seed, series A, um, VC funding, all the kind of different types. It's a whole ecosystem that can be quite challenging to navigate. And you know what? There is no one right path through it, Joy, because some people, you know, might go directly for two million pounds worth of funding at idea stage. That's quite unusual, but it does happen. Some people will go straight to crowdfunding. Some people will do a crowdfunding campaign that has venture capital firms and angel investors and friends and family. I mean, it's the permutations are large. And so that's one of the challenges. You can do a lot of reading about this stuff online, but figuring out what's right for you isn't always easy. And that's part of what we do at Enter the Arena is work with female founders just to help them navigate all of this and help them figure out the best route for them and support them through that journey. Well, and that's exactly where I was headed because at TechFixies, we believe very strongly in coaching. We feel that the transformation or the change that you want to see will come through getting coaching from people who've already been there. Uh, and that's why, you know, we really push the coaching in our 
Superhero Bootcamp and our Social Media Magic program. Uh, and I think one of the things that um, I benefited from massively when I was raising money was coaching. And uh, so I wanted to make sure that we got to that because for me, it's really important that if a woman is starting on that journey, that they know where to go. So tell us where they can find you, how they can start to learn about raising money and what you offer so that they can get started on that journey. Even if they're not sure, they can explore it a little bit more. Yeah, absolutely. Well, the best place to go is entertherearena.co.uk. I should repeat that so you can get it. So entertherearena.co.uk. And there are lots of free resources on there to get you started and help you start to understand what's involved with raising investment. So definitely check out the podcast that I host, which is called Fundraising Stories with Female Founders. We've interviewed over 40 amazing women um, over the last three years who've all raised investment. And you can hear about their stories, their journeys, um, what it took. So that's a really great place to start, start learning. There's lots of great articles on there. There's a newsletter you can sign up for. There's a webinar you can do. And you can even take something called the Investability Scorecard. It's a 10 minute test and it's uh, self-assessment, but it helps you understand where your strengths and weaknesses might be when it comes to raising investments. So it looks at, have you got an investable company? Do you, are you able to put together the um, the financials around raising investment? Can you communicate really effectively? Do you know how to find investors? And do you know how to have great meetings with investors that will lead to them backing you? So it helps you to assess all of that. So loads of great stuff to get you started. And then if you would like some support from us, we always start with a discovery session. And I think that's really important. It's 90 minutes with me. Because what I don't want is someone signing up for a program if I don't think that they actually are investable. I would much rather we have a session together where we go through it all together. And at the end, I just say, you know what, this is, there is another way you could be doing this. I'd rather put people, in the, put people off. <laughs> and then people who do go through to the program, um, we have two different uh, solutions for women who want to raise investment. We've got our fundraising academy, which is predominantly online program with group coaching. Um, and you can also book some one-on-one -on -one sessions as well if you need them. And then for those people who are doing more advanced and more complicated raises or who really want um, a lot more of me, then I also run something called our Fundraising Masters Programme, which is a real sort of a real one-to-one, -one, a bit more top-level programme. So there's something for everyone, there's something for every price point. So there's lots of free stuff. A single session with me can actually make a massive difference in terms of you understanding your strategy and action plan. And then we, we, we run the proper full fundraising programs that really take you right from the beginning of your fundraising campaign, getting everything prepared right through to the end with all the kind of support and coaching and um, you know, information that you, that you need. It's, it's got everything you need. I love that. And it was so needed in the marketplace. You know, you saw a gap in the marketplace. You said people aren't talking about this. People aren't educating, particularly female founders about this. And you've made that your passion, your mission, your everything. And I just love it. And I have loved watching you from the very early days. I was one of your very first podcasts, I believe, when you launched. Um, well, well before I even had a podcast. So I think uh, we teach on the Superhero Bootcamp how important podcasts are and getting, you know, and establishing your authority and connecting you to other people. And I have enjoyed listening to some of the founders that you've interviewed. Um, there's a story behind the name of your company. Uh, can you tell us that as a parting note? Yes, yes. Well, actually, it comes from um, 
I'm a member of the Dell Women's Entrepreneur Network. I've been a member for a long time. And we, we um, did quite a number of annual conferences in some really amazing locations. And one year, there were about 150 of us female founders from around the world. We met up in Austin in Texas had an amazing program of events. And one of the speakers at the event was the inimitable Brené Brown. And if you don't know Brené Brown, please go and just type her into Google. Have you been hiding <laughs> under a rock if you don't know <laughs> Brené Brown at this point? <laughs> but it was such an honour and a privilege to see her speak live. And Brené really talks about vulnerability and being brave. And for me, that that really resonated both personally, but also what I think as female founders to be successful, we have to be vulnerable and we have to be brave. We have to be vulnerable in really talking about what we, really being, revealing what we don't know and being honest about that um, and being brave in putting ourselves out there. But Brené at the time mentioned this quote, which is about um, being in the arena, which is a Teddy Roosevelt um, quote, which is actually on the Enter the Arena website. Again, just look it up, but it's really all about um, how, it's the, it's the man in the arena, although we change it to the woman in the arena, who, who, is, who is striving valiantly and who has mud on her face and who falls over and picks herself up time and time again is the one who will be successful. And in this quote, it also talks about how, you know, critics that lob advice at you from the, from the benches, from, you know, who aren't really in the arena with you, with their sleeves rolled up, fighting the fight. They're not the people you want to listen to. And I really found that when I was a, you know, my, in my previous life where I was building a high growth potential business, I got really fed up with these advisors who were sort of coming from the sidelines, people who were kind of, they'd come through investment banking. And I just kind of thought, hang on a minute. Great. I'm going to take your advice with a bit of a pinch of salt because you've not been on this road. And where are you getting down and dirty in the mud with me? And so when I set up Enter the Arena, I wanted to take something from what I'd learned from Brené and what I learned from that quote and build it into the name. And it really, I think it really works because I think as a female founder, if you want to be successful and grow your business, you've got to get into the arena. You know, and whether that means getting in the middle and kind of fighting the good fight or whether you think of it like um, an entertainment arena where you've got to get up on stage and show yourself to the world. Both of those things apply. You have to be able to do that. You've got to stand up. You've got to do it. And you know what? When you raise investment, I'm telling you something, you will definitely be falling on the floor many times. You've just got to keep picking yourself up and going for it. So, and we work so closely with our founders. You know, it's not from the sidelines. We're kind of like really in it with the women we work with because we we only work with women that we think have got potential. We believe in what they're doing. We're right there. And so that's where the name Enter the Arena comes from. And, and I'm really pleased with it, actually. I, it's really worked. No, you should be. And I think this is a great example of the importance of your business name and what it, you know, that it, that your values and your and the things that you believe in really go all the way down to your business name. Tech Pixies is similar. You know, we love tech. We love a little bit of magic. Bring those together and you got a Tech Pixie. And, you know, and, it, and, I, and a lot of men thought that was a weird name, but every woman I know who gets it, gets it, you know. And uh, it's the, you know, it's the magic, it's the pixie dust, it's the, it's the, you know, if you have that confidence, uh, 
and you know how to use technology, uh, you can do amazing things. And that's the magic. So, uh, of course, we've ended up adding a lot of mindset training as well as I'm sure you have as well, because that's so important. But um, thank you for your time. I really appreciate it. I know someone who's listening to this will have taken a lot out of it, especially if it was the one of the first times they're starting to contemplate investment. And I know that they know that they know who to go to. Uh, so that's Julia Elliott Brown. Uh, so make sure you find her and connect with her. And thanks again for your time. I so appreciate it. Thank you, Joy. Thank you so much.